Good morning. As we are all getting back to seats, there are different sporadic seats available. Let me ask if there if there are seats between you, can you maybe slide over one just to make maybe make sure there's room for two? There's some people standing in the back still. Thank you all. Um, how exciting are Sunday mornings to worship Jesus, family? How good is this? Man, it is great. How exciting are baptism Sundays, church family? Yeah. Man, oh man, my name is uh, Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brook. And days like these are thrilling. They are the highlights of our year. You guys are in for a real treat, a real treat in just a few minutes um, as we get ready for baptisms. Um, I want to share with you a message that God has placed in my heart for all of us here. But before we do that, I want to pray. I just want to pray and ask for uh, just God's help and for him to speak to us, uh, to be able to understand what he's sharing through me to you. All right, can you do that with me? So let's bow our heads as, as I pray. Father in heaven, it is so good to be in this building, Lord. We know that no one here right now is at church, but everybody here is with the church. Lord, we know that the church is your people, not a building. It's not bricks and mortars. God, this place could be torn down, but your church will remain. And we thank you, God. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives, in our community. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in our nation, God. God, we know this has been a, a, heavy, a heavy week for many, Lord, as, um, as many of us just, just grieve and mourning the, the passing of our cultural icon here, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, and all of those aboard that helicopter crash a week ago today. And Lord, even as word was coming out as we were exiting our covenant family meeting, Lord, I know many of us were gripped and even led to a lot of sorrow for maybe even reasons we don't fully understand. And, and God, I think in our culture, Lord, and in our lives, there, there are moments like these that life just feels very delicate. As someone so seemingly is indestructible and driven and successful can be so suddenly taken away. And Lord, we just grieve with the family. God, we pray for your comfort over, over the Bryant family and the others who are victims of this crash. And Lord, we also know that it's moments like these that we're, we're caused to think about more than just the here and now. Lord, we all know that each one of us is one breath away from eternity, Lord. Lord, we don't determine the day that we, that we visit you, Lord. But Lord, we, we thank you that our lives are in your hands. Father, I pray, Lord, that our, our country, our nation, and all who are being awakened to spiritual things because of this would come to see that eternal life and hope that lasts beyond today exists through Jesus Christ. I pray that your followers, the church, would be loving God, that we would be thoughtful, that we'd be bold and generous, that, God, we would listen well, that we would just keep our mouths shut when we need to, and then we would speak up when we need to. Lord, I pray your blessing on this church and the churches in our neighborhood that are about this work. God, we do lift up City Lights Church just down the block from us. We pray for Midwest Bible Church, for Bethany Baptist, for Belmont Assembly of God. Lord, we lift up New Life Community Church, New Life Covenant, Cross Culture, Good News Bible Church, and so many other churches unmentioned here, Lord. 
who are all about the same thing, and that's lifting high the name of Jesus. God, may their church families be effective. May the gospel go forward through them. And I pray the same for the brook. God, I pray that today would be a meaningful day as we get ready for baptisms. Lord, that you would do something in each of our hearts and that we would see, Lord, what you can do to change a life. So, Father, we lift this all before you. I pray that everyone who is here today would not leave without saying that, God, you are with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God for today, fam. Man, God is good. Isn't it great that we could come to God with our burdens? Whatever is on our heart, we can just come to him anytime, anywhere. Even if we're fumbling over our words, God knows what we're trying to say. I'm so thankful to him for that. Man, so last week we began this, this discussion, this series on a life of generosity, living a generous life. And no doubt that affects every aspect of our lives, of our generous with our time, talent, our, our, our abilities and our, and our gifts, our treasures. In particular, when we talk about money, a lot of times we're like, man, but don't, don't talk about my money, right? Um, because generosity is something that gets to the core of our being. Even financially, all of us need money in our lives. We got bills to pay, to pay right? We got things to, 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 to buy. We got utility bills, school debt car notes, mortgages, and the list goes on. It gets a bit depressing, right, the more we think about these lists. But these are realities to our lives. Yeah, all those students were like, yep. Um, this, this is a reality. Last week we said, man, we need to gain a right perspective, though, of, of all these, these possessions, all our gifts, all our finances. And when it comes down to it, we, we came to see that God is the giver who gives all good gifts, but when we let money and the desire for riches govern our lives, we can become enslaved to it. And so the right perspective says, God, I came into this world naked, and I'm leaving with nothing with me. So everything I accumulate from the time of my birth to the time of my death, I lay it before you. Let me use this for you. And so we talked about the right perspective, and today we talked about the motivating factor behind why we're called to be generous people so in 1922, there was an archaeologist by the name of Howard Carter that made this huge discovery in Egypt. He discovered the tomb of an ancient pharaoh named Tutankhamun, and we know him as King Tut. King Tut lived around 1334 B.C. That's a long time ago. He was this Egyptian pharaoh and died around the age 18, and his death is pretty unknown as to how it happened. There's all kinds of theories. But one thing is clear. Upon discovering his tomb, they also discovered this kind of gold mine, if you will. There were so many treasures buried with King Tut, this 18-year-old. Ornate tombstone, tomb, an ornate um, head casing, jewelry, decoration. In fact, there were some 5,000 artifacts discovered in his tomb. It took 10 years for the group that discovered it to catalog their discovery. And it's an, at an estimated worth of today's money, $1 billion. I mean, could you imagine burying a billion dollars? So the question naturally asks, well, why would someone do that? Well, in Egyptian belief, 
they would provide a storehouse of, of resources in the tomb because it was their understanding that in the afterlife, the person in the tomb would take those things with them. So it was provided to give safekeeping, safe directing into the afterlife. But Howard Carter's discovery proved one really important thing. You know what that is? That King Tut took none of it. He left it all behind. A billion dollars worth. When we think about our resources, wouldn't it make more sense, therefore, to be generous with what we've got? Yes, living wisely, but living generously. Today, we're seeing the motivating factor, the main reason why we are to be generous people. Our generosity ultimately stems from the fact that God was a generous God. None of us came here today by accident. I want you to know that. Some of you are here to support someone getting baptized. I think that's awesome. I thank God for you. I know that they appreciate your presence today. Your presence means a lot to them. I also want you to know that, you're not, that they're not the only ones who invited you this morning. I want you to know that God brought you here today. I want you to know that God wanted you to hear today about the magnitude of his generosity toward you. In order to do that, we're going to look at the most popular verse in all of the Bible. It is at sporting events. No doubt it'll probably be in the end zone today when the Chiefs win the snow. I'm just kidding. No, I'm sorry, Niner fans. That's right. It is John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read the beginning of the chapter so we can begin to understand what the broader scope of this beautiful verse is all about. There are uh, Bibles in the chair in front of you. If you didn't come with the Bible today, we'd love for you to take that one. You can open it up to page 887. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you. We want you to have it. It is God's word. And if I could ask you yet one more time, would you please stand to your feet as I read God's word from John chapter 3. It's a bit of a lengthy read, but I want you to get the wider context before I jump in. John chapter 3, verse 1, that's page 887 in your blue Bibles. It says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs, that you do unless God is with him. It was undeniable for Nicodemus that Jesus was special. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, can you say born again? Born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is very literal, y'all. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, that's humanly speaking, is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not see, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes, can you say believes? Believes believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is God's word. You may be seated. If you're tracking with me, there's this man named Nicodemus who was a religious leader. He goes and visits Jesus where Jesus was staying at nighttime. Why? Well, most likely he didn't want others seeing that Jesus was trying to, that, that Nicodemus was trying to find out about Jesus. He's trying to lay low because he has some questions for Jesus. He's like, I can't deny the fact that through you, miracles are being done. I can't deny the fact that when you open your mouth, something special is spoken. So I'm, I'm trying to understand this. Here's a man who's really searching but is also a little timid, afraid of what it's going to cost him if others find out. And maybe you are here today searching. Maybe you were happy for an invitation because you're like, man, I kind of want to know what this is all about. Maybe you were raised in the church and you've drifted away and you say, man, I need to get back, but I don't know how. This is how. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, look, it's not about how you're born the first time, but the fact that you've got to be born a second time. And Nicodemus is like, that's over my head, Jesus, because that sounds really biologically impossible. And what Jesus ultimately tells him, look, to be born humanly, everyone does that, right? But you've got to be born spiritually. He's, Jesus says it's through the water and the spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the one in who God, he is God himself, and he regenerates us. He makes dead people live. He he gives us a new life. He washes over us, consumes us when we put our faith in Christ. And basically, Jesus is like, look, when you look to me and believe in me, you will be born again. And then what Jesus does, he comes to verse 16, is like, let me summarize this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What we see is Jesus basically saying, look, your God, our God, this God who I am in human flesh, am a generous God. The first thing we see in John 3.16 is that God's generosity is driven by his love. It says, for God so loved the world. God loved the world. The word for tells us, okay, this is Jesus saying, this is how you believe. It's because of this. For God so loved the world. See, it begins with God. None of you came today by your own decision. 
You might say, well, no, I, I chose to get my clothes on. I chose to go to my car, and I chose to come here. To which the Bible would say, but who gave you the desire to choose that? For God so loved the world. The soul says this, this much. He loved this much. This word love in the Greek language is agape. You may have heard it. There are a number of different kinds of words for, for uh, different kinds of words for the word love in the Greek language. Now they all oftentimes are used in different ways and used of God. But this word agape speaks of a kind of love that comes from a deep affection and appreciation or a regard for someone. And so what Jesus is saying is God loved with this kind of love. He had an affection. His love is a generous kind of love. You see, God's love is not a thing to be earned, but a gift to be received, family. You, you can't get God's love by, by, by loving him more. You can't earn God's love by being a better pe- person. You can't even get God's love by being here right now. And surely you can't get God's love by being in the baptismal waters. You get God's love by receiving it. And he's saying, God, I receive that gift. For God so loved. He loved this much. But who did he love this much? What does it tell us there in the passage? I want to hear you. What is it? The world. See, God is a great architect. I don't work with carpentry, but I know there's a lot of people here who do, men and women. And I know when you do something, when you remodel a room or when you build a table or something, what do you do after it's complete? You take a step back and you admire that thing. People like me do that when we put together Ikea furniture. It's the equivalent. It's like, hey, if I got that, I'm going to admire this thing. Some of you are artists, right? You finish a painting, and you, you just step back, and you admire that thing. There, there's an appreciation. There's a, there's a regard that you have for that finished product. For God so loved the world, his product, what he put together. Now, now what is it about this world I'm here to tell you it's more than just exotic animals that God loves. It's more than the breathtaking views, the jaw-dropping distant galaxies that we admire or the planetary wonders. It's more than that that God loves. It's more than cosmology, geography, and geology. God's love is about what we say is anthropology. It's about When it says that God so loved the world, it's not talking about the material things, although surely God loves that. But Jesus didn't come and die for the earth. He came to die for people. It's people that he loves. And the question is, why then? Because you and I bear his image. You were made in God's image. And actually, you are the capstone of his creation. So when God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, he took a step back and said, it is very good. And God loved the world, the people. See, as image bearers, we possess intellect and emotion and will and the ability to have dominion and subdue creation. But God's not ignorant of our real problem, though. Because he loves the world, but that's not where this verse stops. Yes, God is generous in his love, but he's got to be generous in his love for a reason. And the reason is that you and I don't want his love. See, in our actions, we've pushed God away. 
and in our hearts and our minds. And the Bible calls that sin. And sin is missing God's mark. It's saying, hey, I want to rule my life. I want to do life apart from God. Or God, I might add you in as a cherry on top, but I'm going to be the one to lead it. Every wayward thought that enters our mind, every ill word spoken, every action done is missing God's mark. And this is why we need God's love. You see, what the Bible teaches us is apart from God and Him intervening, what we all deserve is hell. Eternal separation from God. Eternal conscious punishment. The Bible doesn't teach a kind of hell that ceases to exist eventually. Because just as heaven goes on for eternity and it's eternal conscious joy and love and, and, and delight, hell is eternal conscious punishment and horror. And God, who loves us and has regard for us because we are his creation and bear his image, said, I'm not okay with you going to hell. So God's love is a generous kind of love. We also see in his generosity, he is also sacrificial because the next word says, he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave of something. What did he give? What does it tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, this is what God had to do. This is generosity. He gave of the only one that could actually create a bridge between us and God, and he had to give of himself, his son, Jesus Christ. This phrase, this only son, is one word in the original language, and and it's to convey the uniqueness of Jesus, who is truly eternal God and truly man. And only he then could step in our place as a human and pay for our sins as God. What wonder, man. That's the extent of God's love. You see, he gave his son. No one took his son. If we made a movie of this with Liam Neeson, it wouldn't be called Taken. It'd be called Given. Because the father gave of his son, no one took him away. His only son, and only Jesus can step in for us. When Erica and I, my wife and I, were in high school, we went to New York City. And in New York, if you've ever been there, you'll realize pretty quickly that it has on its streets the counterfeit capital of the world. You can buy any kind of name brand, which is not really the name brand. But if it's close enough, you can pull it off. You know what I mean? And so when we went to New York, we're like, man, I'm going to get me some Oakleys, a.k.a. Fakeleys, right? We're going to get some Tommy Hilfiger stuff. I mean, we're like, we're going to get here for like five bucks, ten bucks, right? And our thought was we could try to pull it off. But, you know, if we tried to really ever get that thing valued, as good as a counterfeit could be, it is not the actual real thing. And so when we see that Jesus is the only son, the unique son, he's not a counterfeit family. He is the one and the only, the real thing. And every other way that we might try to get right with God is a counterfeit. And you can convince yourself that it's the real thing. You can try to convince yourself that, that it's, it's the real, it's genuine. But God knows what's real, and his son is the real thing. God brought you today to see that God in his generosity showed you love, and it's a valuable kind of love that he gave his son, Jesus. Well, in which way did he give Jesus? He gave Jesus to die on a cross to pay the punishment you and I deserved. 
Eric Rivera can't get to heaven on my own strength. My sin is ever before me. I needed someone to die and receive the punishment that I deserve. That was what Jesus did for me. And through faith, you can have that applied to you today. You see what Jesus goes on to say. He says, uh, God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, God's generosity is loving. It is sacrificial, but thirdly, it's also compassionate. He didn't want us to perish. He didn't want us to go to hell. He didn't want us to be separated from him and gave a way. And the way to have forgiveness in God, Jesus says, is to believe in Jesus. Now, for many of us, that's, that's hard because we want to feel like we did something to earn it. You with me on this? Like sometimes when, even when I fail and I sin against God, somehow I want to feel like I could earn God's uh, forgiveness back. Like, like God, let me, just, let me just pay you back real quick, God. I'll give you a little extra. I'll work a little harder. And God's like, that's not the way it works. And in my heart, that's what I want because I can't accept the fact that God would love me for me and my sin. But this is what Jesus is saying. What you must do is believe. Now, this word believe is important, though. It's not just to give intellectual assent or cognitive assent to something to say, I believe it existed. I believe Abraham Lincoln existed, but I'm not going to live my life for him. I believe in historical characters, but none of them are going to change the way I view eternity in and of themselves. See, believing in the Bible is more than just recognizing Jesus exists, but Jesus has also to acknowledge that what I taught is true. Believing is to acknowledge that Jesus' death was sufficient for you. Believing means that I'm ready to not only believe Jesus died on a cross for my sins, but also follow him. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So believing is a robust definition, but nonetheless, that's how you receive forgiveness, is by believing in Jesus, and you can't earn it. Some of you guys are swimmers out there. You like swimming. And many people try these long-distance swims from, like, Cuba to Florida. And it's been done. I've never heard anybody trying California to Hawaii. I never heard of anyone trying Maine to South Africa because it's not humanly possible. You could jump in that water and be as sincere as you want. You can give it your best effort possible. You could swim until you got nothing left, but it ain't going to get you to your destination. See, when it comes to Jesus, he stepped in for us. He did what we couldn't do to get us to our destination. That's a valid question, actually. That's a valid question. <laughs> oh, why are we at church? That's right. <laughs> that was a good one. Out of the mouth of babes. I love it. That's great. We're at church to hear that eternal life is possible through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You know, when it comes to King Tut, a billion dollars worth of treasures in his tomb. And none of those treasures was he able to take with him. None of those treasures could guide him into the afterlife. And so what Jesus is saying here, though, there is a treasure that went into a tomb, and it wasn't a monetary treasure, but it was someone himself. His name is Jesus. He went into the grave and he conquered not just sin, but then he walked out of the grave to conquer death. And he then is a sure guide into the afterlife if you put your trust in him. 
This is what Jesus has done. And this is the basis of generosity in life. Because God himself has seen our plight and said, I'm going to be generous and send my son to live and die for you and give you a way to eternal life through his resurrection. That's motivation. That's motivation. Family, how can I sum this up? How can I sum this up? I'll sum it up this way. For God so loved us. We're pitiful people persistently pushing. Wretched and wrecked, resisting his ruling. Doing it on our own while he sits on his throne, thinking we run the town, but he's the one who's got the crown. That's love. That's great. That blood, that grace, God gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave. The father gave his son, the son gave himself, and he gave, he gave the blind sight, man. He gave the lame legs. He gave the dead life. He gave the hungry bread. I don't think you hear me, fam. He gave himself to Judas. He gave his body to the guards. He gave Melchus his ear back. He gave his mockers his beard. He gave his hands to a beam. He gave his feet to the sting. He gave a cry to the heavens. He gave his mom to John. He gave his brow to the crown. He gave his tongue to thirst. He gave paradise to the thief. He gave his spirit to his father. He gave his body to death, body to the grave, body to life, body was raised. No one took his life. He laid it down. He gave it all to give us all that we need, fam. And this is our motivation for generosity. That's how our God operates, family. So what does he want in response? He wants our devotion. Not arm twisting, not fog, fear, obligation, or guilt, but a genuine response. See, when I asked Erica to marry me, many, many moons ago, it feels like, I, uh, I, we were at a restaurant, I knelt down, had that ring in my pocket, and I asked her, and if I told her, I said, uh, if I said this, I said, you know, we've been dating a long time, and I just think we should do this next. Uh, it's kind of my duty as a next step. So, so should we get married? Um, how, how she would respond to this? That, that wouldn't go over too well. I asked her yesterday, I said, hey, babe, do you remember what I, what I said to you when, when I proposed? She's like, yeah. I was like, well, what did I say? She's like, will you marry me? That's true. That's true. I don't remember what I said. But I was motivated by more than just the fact that, hey, let's just do this because it's the next thing. I was, li- I was motivated by my love for her, my desire to spend the rest of my life with her. I was motivated by what God has done in us and through us and what he could do through us moving forward. I was motivated by all kinds of things that had to do with my deep regard and affection for my then, fian- my then girlfriend to be fiance. And so in the same way, God says, man, look at my generosity. I want you to respond, not simply because I should do this. God wants me to do it. But because I've so radically changed your life that you can't help but say, God, have all of who I am. Use my resources. 
use my gifts, use my time for you. And this is what God wants. That is the motivating factor in the generous life. If you come here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've yet to put your faith in him, and my prayer is that today you would do that very thing. As we close here and invite up those who are getting baptized, I want you to know that those who are coming up right now don't have it all together. There are people who simply have acknowledged the fact that they need Jesus. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And they want the world to know it. Baptism is an important symbol. It's a symbol that signifies death, our death to our old self. That's why we put someone under the water as if buried. And we bring them back out to symbolize their new life found in Jesus when they put their faith in him. And those who are getting baptized are going to hear us ask them in their water, in the water, have you put your faith in Jesus and is it your desire to follow him? And they've already told us their answer numerous times, which is yes. And then we'll say, by this profession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before we bring them into the water, I want to bring them up on stage because you've got to hear what God has done in each of their lives. You guys excited for that? Yeah, can I bring up Jenny Amsey, Vinny Leota? Valentina De La Cruz, Anthony Oyola, Zach Turrentine, and Samantha Scarrett. Come on up. Come on up. This is really exciting. This is really exciting. Um, God has done so much in each of their lives. And uh, we've had the, the pleasure of, of sitting in, a, in baptism classes together, a, a baptism class at different times. And uh, we've had also the opportunity to hear their personal story of how Jesus saved them. And so this is one of the greatest joys as being a pastor, uh, seeing, seeing a, a man like Vinny just make a, a strong declaration to follow Jesus or a woman like Jenny to do the same thing. And these, these Brooke kids here, who have a genuine and powerful faith and testimony. We're going to give you a, a snapshot of what God has done in their lives. And if you want the complete story, as I say every time, go take them out for dinner or something. All right? And don't make them pay for it. All right? Uh, Vinny, share with us uh, your story of what Jesus did to save you. So, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Vinny. All right, so uh, for me, uh, growing up, I wasn't exactly a part of a very church-going family. Uh, my brothers can attest the times we did go to church was more like, why are you bothering us? We'd rather watch Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, <laughs> so we didn't really exactly go to church that often. More it was like holidays and whenever we felt holy. Right? Uh, so pretty much for me, I didn't really know that much about God, about church. Uh, when I got in high school, towards the end of high school, beginning of college, I started to do more research for it. Uh, I started to really accumulate a lot of knowledge about the Bible as far as knowing what verses to use when you're having an argument. I used to get a lot of Facebook arguments. My brother's going to test for that, sitting on their home pages. Um, so I, I knew what to say, right, to that, to that atheist. I knew what to say to that Muslim, that Jewish individual, whatever. <laughs> Whatever uh, and in between. I, I knew what to say, right? Because uh, I just, I'm going to be honest, I liked arguing, right? Um, but all the while I was doing this, I, I was being hypocritical, right? 
I, I was talking the talk, but I wasn't walking the walk, right? I knew intellectually that God exists, but I didn't know spiritually. I didn't know in my heart because if I did, I would have trusted him, you know? I wouldn't have just basically what I did was invite God into my house, but then try to put him off into a room and access that room when it was convenient, right? When I was like, hey, you need to follow God. Let me throw this verse at you, right? But then, let's say, Friday night or Saturday night, I'm like, all right, I'm going to lock that door. I'll see you Sunday morning, God, right? So that's, that's the way I lived my life. And I, I pretended like that was okay. But deep down, I knew it wasn't, right? And that was why I never tried to get baptized. Because I knew once you get baptized, you kind of, like, have to be committed, right? You know what I mean? You're like, all right. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, all right, you're going to put a ring on it? Like, okay. Right? So, so I knew, like, all right, I, I wasn't ready for that. But I kind of acted like I was. And at the time, I was going to another church. And then I fell away from that church. I, I stopped going for a few years. And then uh, one day, while uh, me and my wife were talking, and uh, sometimes we need to be called out when we're doing something wrong, you know? Even though it, it may, in the moment, it doesn't feel good, it's uncomfortable. And my wife did just that. She called me out. She was like, hey, you always talk about God this, God that you want to lead our family. We don't even go to church. I went, what? <laughs> I was like, how dare you? <laughs> I don't care if you have a good point. Right? So that's how I felt. But she was right. She called me out, and I needed to hear that. Right? And we started going to church, and we started coming here to the brook because at the time my apartment was three blocks away, and it was very convenient. And then when we came here, you know, at first we didn't really know everyone, and we were a little nervous, you know. Is everyone going to judge us? We're going to sit in the back because that's where you want to sit. And that's what we did. And then um, slowly by slowly, we just started to find this place home. For me, the moment I really uh, started to look at this as a home was when we had our men's retreat. Now, I, so, uh, I work at nights. For those that don't know me, I'm a police officer. I work at nights. And during the, basically, uh, Whenever we would come to church, right after sermon, I would head home to go back to sleep, right? It was like, it was cool to see everyone, but I got to go. I need a nap. So we didn't really get, me and my wife, we didn't really get to mingle with everyone as much as we would like. So I thought it'd be beneficial to sign up for this men's retreat that I know no one, and I second-guessed going a a few (laughs) times, but I was like, no, I'm going to go. And on that men's retreat, the greatest thing that I noticed, and without you know, sharing too much in, in, in individual people's stories um, was just that, like, people were so real. They were so raw, you know. People were talking about, like, their struggles, you know, whether it was, like, drug addiction, sex, pornography, whatever the case may be, but, like, people were so real. And I was sitting there like, dang, people are honest. Like, I was like, man, you know, like, like people weren't like, hey, you know, I, I once told my mom shut up. I was terrible. Like, no, like, people were, like, giving, like, real things, right? Like, like people were honest. And I was like, dang, okay. And there was one person there, um, and I'm not going to say names, but, like, he, uh, he wasn't a churchgoer either, and me and him kind of just had a really good heart-to-heart conversation. He talked about the struggles in his life, and it helped me open up to the struggles in my life. A, a, you know, some things I've, like, never told before, you know, you know, and it just, um, rather it was like depression and just a bunch of things, suicide, just a bunch of things. Like we just had this great conversation. And I walked away 
kind of from that experience, just like, it was like one of the greatest experiences in my life. Because I realized not only is this a church, it's a home, it's a community. No, it's a real community. See what I did there? (laughs) So, so, you know, just having all that experience, like, really made me see this as home. Really made me respect how much Pastor Eric does such an amazing job up here. Right? And he leads us amazing, right? The way he leads us as a congregation, I want to leave my family. I want to leave my wife, my son. You know, my, my son right now, he's three months old. And he's the greatest gift God has ever given me. And I look at that, and I look at my wife. You know, I, literally, every day, I give her a million reasons to leave him. Every single day. Every single day. Right? I'm sure every man in here can attest to that. Amen. But somehow she stands by my side. I have no idea how. But she does. She finds the strength and courage to deal with me, even though she may want to choke me at times. But I'm just so happy God has given me them. I'm so happy that my family's here to support me. I'm so happy that my Burke family's here to support me. And it's, you know, like, Pastor Eric kind of talked about it a little bit. Everyone up here, like, we're not perfect. I know I'm going to make flaws today. I'm going to make flaws tomorrow. I'm going to stumble and keep on stumbling. But I'm going to get back up again. And it's, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about looking perfect. It's about knowing in your heart you want to follow God. It's about trusting in God. It's about having the faith to say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, even if it's a little uncomfortable for me at times, you know. And that's just all I am. I'm an imperfect person living for a perfect God. So... So with that being said, you know, I know, not just intellectually, but in my heart, spiritually, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for your sins. And I'm just another, uh, I'm just another sinner who believes and wants to follow him. And that's my story. And uh, I like Olive Garden if everyone wants to take me out. So just, okay. okay, thank you. <laughs> My name is Jennifer. Sorry, I'm a little shy. Okay, so growing up, I was raised Catholic. I was baptized when I was an infant, so I don't remember it. I was raised in a strict Catholic family and felt a disconnection with the religion and God. All I knew was that Jesus had died on the cross for me, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know how to read a Bible, and I didn't know the word. I felt like there was no way to grow my relationship with God, and I felt stuck. When I met my fiancé, he introduced me to Christianity. I remember the first time coming to service, and it was so different. I was instantly drawn to watching how everyone was singing worship, how welcoming everyone was, and everyone's joy of being at church. That's when I desired a relationship with God and felt like I was meant to be there. Today, I love starting my days with a devotional or reading my Bible, something that I didn't even know how to do not too long ago. Jesus has taught me the difference between condemning and conviction. Growing up, I felt like I should beat myself up over my sins and felt ashamed to even go to church. Now I know that God puts conviction in my heart to repent for my sins and ask him for forgiveness. And when I do, I am forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice for me. This time, I want it to be my choice to get baptized, and I want to continue living a life that honors God. 
my name is Samantha Scrant, and I am 10 years old. I was born in a house that believed in the true God. When I was little, I thought just because my parents were Christians, I was too. But I eventually learned that I needed to make my own decisions. When I got a little older, my mom started reading me my devotional. And I started thinking, if God is the king, doesn't that make me his little princess? So that has stuck with me ever since. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was eight years old. I was at Cannes Beach Point, which is a Christian camp. The story that one of the counselors were saying really touched my heart. I really wanted to give my life to Jesus Christ, so I did it. Yes, I knew that God had died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again three days late after. After I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I, get, I just wanted to spread the word and read my Bible more. It was totally the spirit of the Lord. Ever since God has worked in my life, I have felt stronger. He has helped me by being the light in the darkness. There were things that I knew not to do because of Jesus. That is how I get through the day in school right beside God. I want to get baptized so I can show everyone that I am a Christian and I would follow Jesus Christ no matter what. I know that God died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I know the symbol of baptism is the when you're down in the water, you die your old self, and when you come up, your old self becomes a new person. I am not only here to get baptized, but I am here because God has made a way so I can invite friends and family that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior to take a moment and accept him today. Hi, my name is Anthony, and I was raised in a Christian home. My parents and others shared the gospel with me many times, and when I was four years old, I accepted Jesus in my heart. Right around that same time, I began to have nightmares, real bad ones, the kind you don't forget. They got me so scared that this brought me anxiety. I couldn't sleep, some, I couldn't sleep. Sometime, sometimes I couldn't go to school. I couldn't even be alone in a room, and this went on for three years. During those three years, my parents, pastors, godparents, principal, teachers, family, and friends prayed over me. I also prayed for myself, asking God to help me. It was in the middle of second grade that I experienced God in a different way. He answered my prayer. I would pray 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. This, this scripture became alive to me. And I believed that God was with me and I was not alone. I understood I understood that God had given me a spirit that God had given me a spirit of power to not be afraid and a sound mind to not believe the lies of the devil. Jesus came to I I believe I believed Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins and even at 4 years old I understood that I was disobe disobedient and needed to repent. 
and I needed God's forgiveness, and I needed God's forgiveness. And at seven years old, I understood that Jesus also died to set me free from my fear and that I can trust him. Today I want to get baptized because I want everybody to know I am a child of God. Good morning, Brook family. It is hard for me to remember life before Christ because I was attending the Brook since I was four years old. Christ has done a lot in my life, like giving me a great, caring, and supportive family, including my Brook family. He also brought me here wanting to be baptized. I am only nine, but I can say without a doubt that Christ died on the cross for my sins. My mom told me that life as a Christian will not always be easy, and I know that's true. She also said that Satan will attack every chance he gets. He attacked me plenty of times, but I address him with 11 words. Satan, get behind me, for I am a child of God. When I am scared, I read Psalms 23, verse 4 which says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that if Christ did not die for my sins, I, wouldn't, I would not have been promised eternal life. I play baseball and do taekwondo, but I do it all in God's name. Whenever I get nervous, I pray to the Lord. I'm a believer, and I'm here to show that to the world. I can't remember exactly when I put my trust in God, but I remember that I was little, maybe like four or five years old. That's when I believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of my sins and rose from the dead. I know that I need Jesus and that there is nothing too big or too small that I can bring to God in prayer. I experienced God's faithfulness in the area of self-control. I used to suck my thumb up until I was eight years old, and I really wanted to stop. My mom always told me to pray about it, so I started praying to God to help me have more self-control. Jesus delivered me from that bad habit. I know that, there is, I know that my prayers are heard and that God will answer and that he will continue his good work in me. My mom helped me learn this verse, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight: A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I keep this verse very close to my heart because it is helpful in my life. Thank you all for your courage to stand up here in front of all these people. There's a lot of people out there, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to pray for them, and then we're going to enter into the baptismal waters. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, uh, we praise you, Lord, for each one of, uh, of the six people up here. I thank you, God, that, that no matter what the life experience is, that you are real. And you've, meet, you've met them each, God, in a personal and tangible way. I thank you for their not just belief in Jesus' work for them, 
but also the fruit of that work he's done in their lives and bringing forgiveness and guiding them. Lord, I pray that today that their story would matter to those in this room, that people's minds begin to wonder, God, are you calling me? And that they would even put their faith in him. So we love you. We pray your protection over them. We just bless your name, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can head to the side room. Those who are baptizing uh, with them, you guys can go on in. And our worship team, you guys come on up and get ready to lead us. So what we're going to do, and we do this each time, as we close in our final two songs, uh, we're going to have a, a, a video feed here of the baptistry as well as a window behind me. I want you to know that, uh, that as you see them doing this, baptism doesn't save them. I hope you noticed and you heard in their stories, they already believe in Jesus and already have been forgiven and saved from their sins. But baptism is an outflow of that. It's a declaration to everyone saying, this has happened to me. And so what we want you to do is we sing these closing songs, and as they enter the baptismal waters, it's okay to shout and cheer and yell, all right? It's okay to clap. Don't be quiet, please. Let's, let's, let's give God all the praise and all the glory. Let's celebrate what he has done and is doing in each of their lives. Would you rise to your feet as we lead and close in these final two songs? miraculous work in someone's life there's no one in this room who is too far away for God's powerful reach and I hope that as today as you depart and head downstairs for refreshments and interact with those who got baptized I hope that you would leave just remembering this one thing that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes whoever, 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 whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life That's the promise God gives for you today. Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts and you would work in us, that for those who know you today, that we would give shouts of praise. God, for those who who just are remembering how how you saved them, God, uh, realign them to you if they've drifted. God, encourage them. And for those who are far, God, draw them back, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you this blessing. I want to give you this blessing from God's word. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17, this is God's blessing over you. You are dismissed. Please join us downstairs for refreshments.